In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. This is the seventh Sunday after Pentecost, and we are continuing in chapter 13 of uh, Matthew's Gospel. You remember that last week in chapter 13 we read the parable of the sower, and you'll remember that Jesus is the sower who is spreading the, the kingdom of God in the hearts of those uh, people uh, that hear his word and receive it. And he talks about the heart of the, the person who receives it in four different ways. He says there's basically four different conditions of the heart. Uh, the first condition is hardness, hardness of heart, which is that, that path that's been packed down and worn. Then there is the, the rocky or the shallow soil where the seed uh, is uh, bursting forth quickly and then is burned by the sun. Didn't you remember that there's the earth that has the weeds where they choke out the cares of the world uh, of the kingdom of God? And then finally that rich good soil where the seed of God takes deep root and there's this symbiotic relationship between the earth and the plant that grows there. Uh, to produce fruit. And you remember that that fruit of the wheat, that fruit of the, the grain that's born is the fruits of the Spirit. They are the virtues of, of love and of hope and of faith, of patience, of self-control. And so these are the things that grow up uh, when the seed uh, takes deep root in us. And so Jesus is continuing with this parable. He's continued in expanding it again here in this parable of the wheat and the tares, Jesus himself is the sower. He is the one that spreads the good news. He is the evangelist of that good news. Uh, we still in the world are that earth, and uh, the condition of that earth is still important. Uh, but now he's talking about these two different conditions, and he's saying that uh, there are some that are weeds and some that are wheat, and it seems clear that he's using this as an allegory for the church, that there are those in the church who have uh, received the word, uh, but who are weeds, who are not producing fruit. And the question there is for the church, those that are not producing fruit, should we be removing them from our congregations? Should we be uh, pushing them out? And Jesus is saying, don't do that because it will disrupt those that are righteous, that maybe are growing up in their righteousness, that are still uh, delicate in that growth. Uh, but rather, we need to be diligent in keeping Satan away from planting that uh, that uh, rank weed. And we need to be diligent in teaching up the, the promise of righteousness. And so uh, we do stop anyone who would teach uh, that which is from Satan, which is a weed. And the difficulty there is that it's done when we are uh, ambivalent, when we're uh, asleep, when we're paying attention to other things. And that sometimes it looks like good teaching at first. And this is how all the heresies of the church have risen up. At first, they sound like a good idea. Uh, at first, to the ear, it sounds like, oh yeah, maybe that is what the scriptures are teaching. And all heresy that would produce a, 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 a tear, a weed, uh, is uh, teaching something different about God. That's always where they start. They start to teach something different about who God is. And whenever we get a change in our understanding of who God is, then we get a change in understanding of who we're supposed to be, how it is that we're supposed to reflect God. And so we start to get some uh, very strange teaching about uh, righteousness. Some would say that it's impossible, or uh, some would say that it's not important, or uh, some would say that God doesn't really love and care for all, that it's only this select group that he would save. And so there 
there's all kinds of distortions in the teaching of the gospel, and, and that we need to be very careful with. It's no uh, surprise to us, it should be no surprise that uh, we can become disheartened when we're looking at the world and we're seeing the condition of the world and indeed the condition of the church and for uh, many of us to cry out, to grow impatient and to say, can't the, uh, the church be cleansed? Can't we make it perfect? Uh, it's not doing its job. And, and so often this is the impatience of the world kind of creeping in. And we start to think, oh, our time is a special time, a unique time. There's special tragedies going on or special difficulties and we start to lose hope indeed this is the religion of the world the religion of the world is uh, hopelessness it's a religion of despair it's a religion of nihilism that uh, the lord will not finally uh, come back or that uh, he will not renew those that he loves and so it's a one of a kind of a nihilism and destruction and despair and this is not the teaching of the church. All the way through, the teaching of the church has been to recognize the seriousness of the trouble that we're in, to recognize the seriousness of the sin around us, and to provoke one another into good works, to encourage one another up into faith. And this is exactly what the writer of uh, the Wisdom of Solomon is doing. Uh, the Wisdom of Solomon is the last book written in the Old Testament. Indeed, it's written only maybe two generations before the time of Christ, maybe 30 or 60 BC. BC and the city of Alexandria and North Africa. You'll remember that the Jews had been sent into diaspora several different times. You'll remember the northern kingdom of Israel gets sent up into Syria and that diaspora happens about 800 years before Christ. Another one about 580 BC happens in the southern kingdom of Judah. They get sent to Egypt and they get sent to Babylon, to the Chaldeans, and they get kind of spread around the known world. So much so that if you remember in the reading of Pentecost and the Acts of the Apostles, we read that there are Jews from all over the known world. And you remember that long laundry list of Jews from uh, you know, Crete and from Arabia and how they're speaking different languages, right? So all these Jews who are uh, participating in their cultures that they have assimilated and are speaking these different languages have come uh, to Palestine, to Judea, to Jerusalem for the celebration of Pentecost. And indeed, there was a very large community in Alexandria there in present-day Egypt and North Africa, and they were Greek-speaking. And of course, we could spend a lot of time talking about why it is that they were Greek-speaking. And in fact, this book is written in Greek, and it's one of the reasons why present-day Jews don't read it, because uh, they don't read anything that wasn't written in Hebrew. So any of the books that were written first in Greek were not included. This is one of the reasons why it's called the Apocrypha, the Deuterocanon, because they're those Old Testament books first written into Greek. So here we have a Jew in Alexandria, just 30 or 40 years before the time of Christ, writing to the Jews in Alexandria and he's writing to them reminding them all the things that God has done he's reminding them of the hand of providence he's reminding them what it is that the Lord has called them to do so he's in this very difficult political time in this very difficult political climate here he is this minority who's being persecuted and he's telling the people who will listen remember that God is righteous and if we look at the very beginning of the book of wisdom I think that you'll get something of the theme of the whole book I believe in the first few verses he gives the whole theme and this is how the wisdom of Solomon starts love righteousness you rulers of the earth think of the Lord with uprightness and seek him with sincerity of heart 
because he is found by those who do not put him to the test and manifests himself to those who do not distrust him. For perverse thoughts separate people from God. So you'll see that he's reminding the people that God is righteous and if they're to come close to God and they're to live righteous lives and indeed if they're rulers and they're going to be encouraging their people to live righteous lives, they can't test God but they have to walk in righteousness and move close to him and to his ways. The message of all the scripture. And so the reading that we have this morning, again, he's saying why it is that God does this. Why is it that God is reaching out to his people? Why does he send the sower? Why does he send Christ with the word of the kingdom? And we read because his care is for all. See, he's saying the care is not just for the Jews. It's not just for Greek-speaking peoples. It's, it's not for any one people group. God's care is for all. So we don't have a religion of ethnicity. We don't have a religion of culture. The message here is that God's care is for all people. He hungers for them to come back to him and to live lives of righteousness. And so he says those who are righteous must be kind. And we have to have two things. He says we have to have two tools to, so that we can be righteous and come close to God. He says we have to have the tool of repentance and we have to have the tool of hope. Hope and repentance are the two tools that the writer of the wisdom of Solomon is saying we have to exercise. And indeed, St. Paul is pointing to those exact same tools. He's saying that, uh, that we've gone astray from the Lord and we have to repent. What does it mean to repent? To repent is to say, I was going this way and I'm going to stop and start going this way. And this is what we're supposed to be doing for ourselves. We're not supposed to be judging each other. We're not supposed to be saying, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. We're supposed to be examining ourselves and saying, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. I need to repent and turn my ways towards God. And this is the whole purpose of morning and evening prayer. This is why we constantly talk about the daily office, because we have to consistently examine our hearts and minds and confess to the Lord and read His Word so that we're saying, Oh, I was going that way. That's not the way of God. Lord, forgive me for going that way and maybe even for teaching that way to other people. And let me now learn your way and to turn into your ways of righteousness. So we have to have that, that constant repentance and we have to have a, the humble heart, right? That meek heart that's able to repent. And then finally, the last tool that St. Paul advocates along with the wisdom of Solomon is hope. And hope is one of those, those three Christian virtues, faith, hope, and love. It's a central Christian virtue. We cannot live without hope. And if you remember, we've talked about the heart as being this, this center of the human person, right? That the, the heart is at our very center, and the heart is the place where our, our basic thinking and feeling takes place. The heart is where we have those impulsive thoughts, those impulsive feelings. As soon as we see somebody, we like them or we don't like them. As soon as a plan is presented to us, we have this quick response, I like it or I don't like it. It's where these words just come out of our mouths without even realizing that we're saying them, and it exposes where our heart really is. That's the, the center of the human person that the Lord wants to transform. But then he would renew our minds, he would renew our minds and our souls so that we can reach up and we can be, begin to perceive the ways of God. We begin to perceive the ways of God and we're able to do that with that highest part of the person. You know, we talk about having willpower, right? 
willpower. That's that power to say, I'm not doing it. It's so hard. I'm going to try. I'm going to exert myself. I'm going to see if I can imagine that better way of living. This is the lives of the saints. This is the ways of those Christians around us, the great fathers of the church, or the examples in our own lives of people that we've seen being seen living righteous lives. And we say, I wish I could do that. I wish that I could live that kind of life. And when that happens, when we start to be renewed, we become uh, adopted as sons. And this is what St. Paul says. He says, what are we hoping for? We're hoping for the adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. That changing, right? That holy change of our bodies, like we saw in Christ in his resurrected body, right? Where God is going to make all things new, all of creation new, even our, our bodies he will make new. And the great thing about the way that St. Paul says this is, is that we hope, we eagerly hope for adoption as sons. He's saying it hasn't happened yet. That's an interesting thing to say, isn't it? The church says, we have been saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. Adoption is a process that we go through. It's a continual relationship that we have with the Lord where we're continually more and more becoming adopted. This process of becoming adopted, of being brought into the family of God. And the only way that that works is if we have hope. Hope can't just live in the heart, it can't just live in the mind, but even in the soul as we perceive this adoption and this redemption of our bodies. So that we're able to not only say, yes, Lord, I see how you're wanting me to live my life, but finally we're able to say, I want to live my life that way. That's when our hearts become transformed and we begin to desire to hunger and thirst for the ways of God. It's not just I know how he wants me to live, but I hunger to live according to the ways of God. I thirst for his ways of righteousness. And now we've been transformed from head to toe, inside and out, heart, mind, body, and spirit, all aligned towards the purposes and the glory of God. St. Augustine, in his uh, writing about St. Matthew, and indeed in his commentary on the wisdom of Solomon, talks about how the, the world is the field. And he says the, the church has been spread out over the whole field of the world. And he says that we're continually seeking renewal and not pushing out those weeds because some of those weeds will still be transformed into wheat, but sadly some of that wheat will degenerate into weeds. And our prayer and our constant focus and effort needs to be for that transformation into wheat. May our hearts and our minds and the work of our church be constantly focused so that those weeds among us may become wheat. And that those of us that are wheat may be preserved until the coming of his kingdom.